Amen. <clears throat> Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is discussing religious hypocrisy. He's speaking about the fact that there are many who live in such a way, they, they live lives of holiness, but not for the, the purpose of living out a life of holiness, but they live this lifestyle so that they can be seen. He says this in verse 1. He gives this warning. Beware of practicing. Beware of doing your righteousness. Beware of, of living a righteous life before other people in order to be seen by them. Now that can be uh, that can be misinterpreted or misconstrued, okay? We might think, I need to do everything in secret. If anything that I do that's of any religious value is seen, it is therefore null and void or exposes the fact that I've got wrong motives. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen. And so, so uh, there is... There is this, this feeling that if, if, if a good work is discovered or seen and someone's like, good job, like some jewel in your crown in, in heaven is shattered and stolen, uh, that's bad Bible interpretation. Uh, remember, too, as well, uh, good Bible interpretation says that if there is such a thing given to you in heaven as a crown that has jewels in it, you will not be examining it. You will be throwing it at the feet of Jesus. And so, um, it, it, and maybe that's the lesson in a nutshell. Maybe we, we pray and end the sermon. Um, some of you are like, yes. Um, some of you are like, no. Uh, I, will, I will do what the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, if we practice our righteousness in order to be seen, then we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. There will be no blessing from God because that is not what is being pursued. The, the, the practice of righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them has its reward built in. The applause of those who see is the reward. And the receipt can be marked paid in full with no additional benefit to flow to the giver. Jesus moves on then. He's going to speak about three specific religious practices. We'll take each one in turn. And he moves on to the subject of giving. Now, in Jewish life, when it came to the religious observance, the, the outward working of the faith, there was no single more important practice in Jewish culture. This is viewed as the highest and most important practice. Now, whether or not we, in our reading of the Old Testament, think that they should have elevated it to this place, they did. The, the attendance of worship, the memorization of scripture, the uh, praying of prayers fills out the, the worship of God, the love of God, in, in terms of um, loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves in Jewish life, giving... The giving of alms was chief among the practices. It was so important and central that the word used in verse 1 for righteousness, beware of practicing your righteousness, often shows up in other places as a word for giving. Now Jesus is speaking about practicing righteousness, living a righteous life here, 
but the way that he begins, he's going to move first to the subject of giving, and so he is saying they're hearing both things when he says it. Beware of, of practicing your righteousness so you can be seen. Beware of the way in which you give. Are you giving to be seen? That's what he's saying. It doesn't come out in the English, but in the, in the Greek it would be relatively clear to those who were listening. Religious observance and giving were so closely connected that they would be seen as synonymous. So Jesus is talking here in this section about living life as a disciple, and he's confronting a serious, serious danger. Instead of setting the bar too low in terms of holiness and saying, I am a righteous person, I've lived out the law, that's the mistake of chapter 5, we, we might then go and make an error of living holy lives, but being obsessed with others seeing us. Living lives of holiness, yes, rising to the demands of, of chapter 5, but hearing the applause of the religious community and good people, then beginning to make choices and to act based on hearing the applause of the crowd. And we see the principle there in verse 1. Avoid doing the right thing for the purpose of being seen. So again, this doesn't mean that we never do right things that other people see. Sometimes it is good to be seen doing the right thing. It's, it's good. It builds and encourages the community. But if, if the action is only done for the purpose of being seen, then it is, it is robbed of its eternal meaning. The, the action should not be rooted in the desire to be seen. That, 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 this is the word hypocrite that's used here is used of the people who would wear the masks. If you know the, the playbill, or you, you see posters, or you understand, or know anything about the history of acting, you'll know that there are these masks, right? The frowny mask and the smiley mask, right? This was, they were, they were the original uh, emojis before text messaging, right? The actors, the actors would put on a smiley mask or a sad mask, and then they would act. That's what it, what it meant to be a hypocrite, a play actor because the face displayed something other than the face of the person. So, we move to the, to the first section of what, what Jesus is saying here. This goes underneath the heading of him saying, don't be that guy, okay? Don't be, don't be that guy. Jesus says, in effect, look at this dude over here, and don't be him. Verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. It was expected as part of uh, the, the outward expression, the religious life of the people, that giving to the needy would occur. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: you will love your neighbor as yourself. Paul later teaches the church in this way. He tells Timothy to teach the church, 1 Timothy 6.18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may hold, take hold of that which is truly life. Which is the best way to be rich? To be rich in good works. To be generous and to be ready to share. So giving to the needy was expected, but it's the way in which the giving was to be handled. 
The, the giving is to be done in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to the self and celebrate the self, but that it instead occurs and brings glory to God. Now, why trumpets? Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. And there are several ideas that show up in commentaries and in sermons. Um, and in typical fashion, this is what you do. You, you begin with ideas that you don't agree with, and you end with the one that you do agree with, and then you move on. So there are several ideas. Um, one person says that when they would fast in the temple, they would blow silver trumpets and call the people to worship, and so the people would know that, that worship was occurring. Maybe this is the, uh, the origin of the call to prayer in Islamic life, or this is the origin of church bells being rung at worship times so that people would know, come and gather. And so they blow these trumpets and people come to the temple to, to worship. Now, Jesus doesn't mention the temple here. Pardon me. He's talking about synagogues and streets. And they didn't call the people to religious worship using the trumpets. They called them when they were declaring a solemn fast. This is probably not a good idea. Uh, one person has suggested that maybe they used boxes shaped like trumpets, okay, with, a, with a, a narrow mouth, but then would widen out so that when you put coins in, you couldn't get your arm in there and steal. And there was a long... Now, there's no evidence that these things existed. Ideas abound. But listen... It's entirely possible that Jesus is just making this up and using an image. Because imagine what it would be like if the usher came forward to collect the offering. And it went like this. Imagine if it was like... That's absurd, right? Always test your trumpet beforehand. Everyone, everyone looks. Everyone pays attention. Everybody sees. Yes, somebody, uh, we're going to get to Acts, or Matthew chapter 7 where it says, do not judge. Who said those are pennies? Who said that? Somebody said that. Yeah, those are pennies. You robbed me of my glory there. Yeah. Um, <coughs> The, the person, the person who, who gives ostentatiously is saying, see me, look at me, it's me, I'm, I'm giving. And this is what Jesus is, is confronting in, in the Pharisees, in the, in, the, in the play acting of giving. This is what they would do in the streets and in the synagogues. The rich man is walking from one place, the place he needs to get to next, and he stops with his entourage around him, and he, he hands a coin to a poor man. And in contemporary life, the cameras would have been clicking and, and people are taking note. And they're saying, see, he's a kind and a generous man. It's, it's good press. It's good public image. This was a sin that the Pharisees were prone to. John 12, 42 says this. Speaking of, of Jesus is working many miracles and people are beginning to trust and believe in him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the glory that comes from man 
more than the glory that comes from God. When we, when we live out in the open, acting so that people will see us, we are living for the applause and the glory of man and not for the glory of God, and we need to guard against it. Now, I believe in this church culture and in church culture in general that the words of Jesus have accomplished their meaning in some sense in the form of the church. Now, we, we pass the offering plate, and nobody ever, ever throws a bag of pennies in. I've heard occasionally over the years, I've heard somebody throw some coins in there, and I usually think, oh, that's cute, like some kid is giving money. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't, I don't check and say, like, you know, who was that? Who dropped that coin in there? But, but, but we've, we collect the offering in a way, like everybody folds their check, Right? You know, we fold it with the writing on the inside so that the usher doesn't judge us when we put it in there or whatever. You know, I always folded my check because I didn't want my kids to be like, you're giving how much money? You know, whether it was big or, or small or whatever. You know, I would fold it, you know, and put it in there. And so, so in the giving within the church, there is in general not this opportunity for it to be known what's giving. But there are other ways in which we can live to be seen. And so we take the example and we apply it to our own lives. If we're living in such a way as to live off the praise and the attention of men and women, then we are not living for the glory of God. Now listen to the words of Jesus here. I think that we could read them with a tone of judgment. Jesus saying, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward like those dumb people. Or we could hear it simply as an observation. Jesus speaking with compassion. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. They, they lived for the applause of men. They, they lived to be seen and they were seen and some people clapped and that's all the glory or benefit they're going to receive from that for their entire lives and into eternity future. As Jason said earlier, we're to store up treasures in heaven where thieves can't break in and steal. As Martin Luther said, what we give to God, we still possess. It cannot be taken away. So where and how are we investing when we give. There are a few kinds of hypocrisy. The, the word has kind of morphed over time, and it means something different today than it meant when Jesus was speaking. Hypocrisy uh, could, could look like this. It's one who fakes that they're doing good, but internally they have evil motives, and they know that they're being deceptive. That's the meaning of hypocrisy today, right? They, they live one way in private and another way in public. They, they are behind the scenes manipulating, conniving, and then in public they're doing something else. They're saying something else. That's, that's the way we look at it today. Another kind of a hypocrite is one who fools himself but not others and is carried away by his own act, right? This is the, uh, the image of the emperor's new clothes, the man who is naked on parade and everybody is playing along until the little kid says, he's naked, you know, and then everybody's like, yeah, what's up with that, you know? And, and so the guy is deceived, but everybody knows the truth. That's another kind of hypocrite. The third kind of hypocrite is this, I believe, in this place. One who deceives 
themselves and is able to deceive others into thinking that he is serving God and man. But he is deceived because his motives in his heart are hidden. They're internal and they cannot be seen. And so the deception is taking place. The individual needs to realize their, their motives and to dig in and to change. I believe that this passage is one of the reasons why Christians practice the offering like they do. That there's, that there's no tallying or checking in, that it is secret what people give. And it is not generally known or published within the church who gives what. It's, it's, it's information to be protected and guarded so that the focus is not on the outward, but on the inward. People may give from a sense of duty. They may give to earn God's affection or to be noticed. I think that these, these things have their root in the fall, right? There's a, there's a desire to manage our own shame or guilt or nakedness and to either present to the world that we are okay, that we are adequate, that all is right with us, something. We're, we're attempting to put a, a lamb skin on ourselves, like Adam, or to use a fig leaf to cover our own exposure. The problem is that our self-focus when we're giving can lead to self-congratulation. And self-congratulation can move on to self-righteousness. And that's the exact opposite of the good news of the gospel. When we give like this, when we do anything publicly that we believe that God is calling us to do by way of command, and we do it to be seen and not for the glory of God, we have all the reward that we're going to get. That's the first part. Look at that guy. Don't be that guy, is what Jesus is saying. And next, he moves on to keeping secrets. What's the best way to keep a secret? This is something my mentor asked me years ago. He said, what's the best way to keep a secret? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, not talk about it. That's brilliant, right? You know, I know a secret. It's a secret about you. Really? What's the secret? Well, you know, you've, already, you've, you've ruined it. Now, now you're talking about it. The best way to keep a secret is to know secret information and then to forget that you know it and to put it in a box and put that box in a box and to mail it somewhere right? And to not, not mess with it, not toy with it, not think about it, just like act like it's not there. And then remember when it comes to mind that you're going to say that and be like, oh no, that's secret information and leave it there. Look at what Jesus says here. When you give to the needy, again, he's not saying don't give to the needy. We ought to take some of what we've been given and give it to those who are in need. And Jesus speaks about this in the sermon. But when we do it, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We are to give. We're meant to give. God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. And so giving within the church and giving to the needy is not something that we're doing to remain in good standing in a club. 
or to, to pay dues in an organization, and it's not something that we do in order to earn God's affection. It's meant to be an act of love done from a heart of devotion and gratitude to the Lord. It's a real activity that involves real people who have real needs. It is not an opportunity for us to, to build our public image, right? And that's what those who were, who were taking advantage and, and giving ostentatiously or out in the open and, and publishing it on Twitter or whatever, you know, they would have, would have done. You know, they're circulating the word of what they've done in the community. They were, they were taking people and using them for their own image. Instead, giving is to be done in a way that it demonstrates a heart of devotion and gratitude to the Lord. When you give to our fellowship fund in the church, we collect that offering on the first Sunday of the month, every month, you make it possible for the church to say, oh, you're in the middle of a hard time, you can't fix your car, we can do that for you. You're doing everything that you can to meet your expenses and you don't have enough to, to meet this obligation here, we will fix that, we can help. And it becomes an act of mercy done in secrecy, not something that is broadcasted the next month. Give more money because last month we did this. Because what happens is we then, we then take what we have done and we say, good for us. We did this. Or it's turned into to some kind of public press for the church and is used to, 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 to cycle more giving. It's No, it's administered in secret so that it can be selfless, an act of mercy done in secrecy, not an act of vanity done for all the world to see. And when we give and use it as press for ourselves or our organization, we turn an act of selfless giving into an act of vanity or an act of the ego. And so Jesus says this, and he says it in another creative way. When you do give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The right hand is the active hand. The right hand is the hand that you do stuff with, you know. This is the hand that you put the money in the offering plate with. If you don't know what the left hand is, is for, you know, imagine cultures with less adequate toilet facilities. Anyway, um, it's true. It is true. I'm not kidding. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so instead of self-focus leading to self-congratulation and self-righteousness, we're to think through the lens of the gospel when we give. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, focusing in not on the act itself or, or focusing so much on, on the amount to be given, but instead focusing on the example of giving that it might inform our own giving. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the, the grace that we learn and see in the example of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich with heavenly glory. People might think of Jesus and, and they hear the word rich and they think of uh, Scrooge McDuck from the old uh, uh, DuckTales cartoons, right? This is, he had this giant vault and he would dive into it and he would swim in his money, 
you know, and no one else was able to do that. It was funny because every now and again, a, a character would get in there and they would try to dive into the money, like I'm in the vault, and they would and they would bounce off. Only Scrooge could swim in his own money, and we think Jesus was rich, but he wasn't rich that way. Like the, the gold is just pavement in heaven. Jesus was rich in relationship to his father. He was rich in access. He's rich in innocence. He's rich in purity. He's rich in, in, in clear intent of motive. He's rich in all the ways in which humans aren't rich. He, was, he has a perfect relationship with his father. And so instead of laying hold of that and counting equality with God, this is what Philippians 2 says, a thing to be grasped, he, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and embrace death on a cross. For our sake, he became poor. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he knew no sin, but he became sin for us. He absorbed the sin of, of all humanity. He took that sin upon himself so that it would be punished, so that others who put their faith and trust in him would not have to face the penalty for their sins. And so... For our sake he became poor, so that in his poverty we might become rich. And so instead of self-focus leading to self-congratulation and self-righteousness, a grace awareness, an awareness of our spiritual richness in Christ leads to a grace response. I have been shown grace I will act out of a heart of gratitude and love and compassion and respond in my world with grace. And I'll embrace self-sacrifice. When we're aware that we fully depend on the Lord and that all that we need comes from him and we know that he's good and that he will supply all our needs, we then are free, freed to give a portion of what we have away. We say, God, I... I write this check or put this money to the needy. I give it to my church. I give it to gospel ministry. And I trust that there will be more. I trust that, that you're going to follow through and you're going to supply more. Motivated by obedience, that's love towards God, and compassion, that's love towards man, we give. And what do we say when we give? Do we say, I have done something. I have earned God's affection. I am righteous in and of myself. No, we know that our righteousness comes from Christ. And so Jesus says this in Luke 17, 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. But giving is right and good, and it's what we ought to do. We ought to give generously to our local church home, and we ought to give generously to those that we know are in need, both in the life of the church and in our own personal life, knowing that God is looking at the heart. When, when the praise of men is removed as a motive, Jesus is taking away that stage and taking away that platform, what happens is giving then becomes all about trusting God and seeking to meet the needs of those who are in true, real need. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when we remove the, the public aspect of giving and we remove the possibility of the praise of men, then giving becomes an act of killing the old man, killing our sin nature. 
putting it to death. Because think about it, if, if, there's, if there's still that root that seeks praise or recognition from giving every single time that you give in secret, you put that to death a little bit more. Another opportunity to win praise for yourself. And, and you avoided it again and again and again and again. Can someone ruin your giving by finding out or thanking you or telling someone that you did something? Oh, so-and-so's in need. Well, I, I you know, we, we helped them. I, I, yeah, I've, I've helped them, but, you know, if they could probably use some more help. Like, have you, like, shattered something? No. But doing it for the express purpose of being noticed ruins it. Let's just think about this a little bit more as we, as we draw towards the close. God himself is a giver and calls his people to give. Jesus says in, in chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we said that is not a, a moral perfection of always doing the precise right thing. Human beings cannot do that. They can't. They can't live up to it. But when we fulfill the law by being loving, we are able to say in some way that we are perfect. Not perfect with perfect intent, not perfect with perfect morality, but perfect because our action had the right goal in mind. Listen to what, what, what Paul says here in Corinthians. Think about the fact that God is a giver and he calls his people to give. What are we doing then when we give? We are imitating God in whose image we were made in. This is, this is the, the tragedy and the, 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 the just, yeah, the tragedy of the fall is that the serpent comes along and says, when you do this, you will be like God. Man was already like God in the way in which he was created to be like God. And we can still imitate him in ways that are perfectly righteous. Not seeking to be like him in power, but seeking to be like him in character and to give. Paul says the point is this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully. Think about the fact that, that God sends his rain on the just and on the unjust, that he feeds his enemies and his friends. Who is it that will receive praise and glory from both enemies and friends in eternity for all eternity? The book of Revelation is full of praises to God, like you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. He deserves that praise because of all people, of all, not people, of all beings, he is the most generous being. And he will be recognized as such for all eternity. And he calls his people to be like him. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Is God sitting up in heaven? Is he saying, yeah, I guess I'll make it rain on that guy's crops, even though he's my enemy. Now he's just like, it's going to rain. And rain goes on everybody's crops. God delights to do good to those who are his enemies. He is a peacemaker. Verse 8, And God is able to make all, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good 
work. Think about what that means. That means that any good work that God calls you to, you are not limited in your ability to accomplish it by material resources. God enables us to accomplish all the good that he wants us to accomplish with exactly what he has given to us. We have all sufficiency, all sufficiency, it's a hard word to say, in all things at all times because God's grace is abounding to us. Listen, this means, and this is not to get off track on a sermon about giving because when it, when it comes down to it, giving means that we ultimately must give something. And what Jesus is talking about here is money, okay? So don't, don't lose that point. We ought to give to those in need. But giving money is not the only way in which we are called to give. Okay? You heard that first point over here. Yes. Ultimately, he's talking about money. That's what he's talking about. But, but we, we are able, as Christians, to, to share the gospel, to speak encouraging words, to engage in ministries of encouragement or compassion, and those things so often don't require material resources. They require spiritual resources, the power of God working through the one who shares the word, the Holy Spirit speaking and, in, and engaging the person who's being spoken to as you are speaking God's words. We're called to give in that way as well. And God is able to make all of his resources abound when we do that. We might think, but I don't have the ability to, to give. Will the, will the gift be encouraged even if I give just a little? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. If someone receives what you give with contempt, and says, this is not enough to meet my need, that's them. It's not you. Someone has said that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. When you give out of compassion to help another, it should be to them if they receive it with a heart of gratitude, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God. And though you might give and give to it till it hurts, this is the promise for those who give and who engage the mission of God in their life. This is not like uh, a life jacket for stingy Christians. This is, this is something when, when we are engaging the mission that God has called us to, this is, this is found in a thank you note from a missionary to the church that has supported him. Paul says in Philippians 4:19, and my God it will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That means that whether you are rich or you are poor, whether you have much or little, that you have exactly what you need in Christ Jesus. Those are God's spiritual riches. That's true riches. Let's talk about reward here. Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. God is a secret seer. Does that, does that, does that come down to the level on which you live? Do you, do you think about that, that God sees everything that happens in secret? We need to be more careful nowadays because there are cameras everywhere, right? 
there are not only cameras everywhere, um, uh, like hanging on light posts and stuff, you know, uh, that, that's not the only kind of, of, of camera that's out there. But, I mean, cameras are everywhere. People are watching. But there are those places where we think, I'm, I'm secret and I'm secluded. But God sees everything. Teenagers, think about that. Children, think about that. Your parents might not be able to figure out who ate the tasty cakes that we're not supposed to be eaten, but God knows. <laughs> this applies to adults as well. You may get away with something. You, you, may, you may fool other people, but God is not fooled. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. If you look at the passages in the Old Testament that speak about the fact that God sees in secret, that is always a bad thing in the Old Testament. God seeing in secret, it's like, uh-oh, judgment. But from Jesus' vantage point, God who sees in secret and who will call all people to account one day, that is a very good thing for those who embrace the way of the disciple and they embrace the secret. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And he says, Your father who sees in secret will reward you. The reward given for good works, the reward given for embracing the way of Jesus is real. It's real both in time, as John Broadus, uh, Baptist theologian, uh, long long dead says it's real both in time and in eternity both in character and in felicity that's a fancy word for for love the reward is real in terms of satisfaction matthew 25 35 and 36 say this i was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus teaches us in Matthew that when we serve those in need, we are serving him, as Michael Card has said, in his distressing disguise. But think about the reward that is real in time. Serving Jesus is a reward that's real in eternity. We will discover that we met his needs. But in time, think about it, when we give and serve the needy, the hungry are fed, and this is right and good. When the thirsty have their thirst relieved, that is good. When a stranger in need is welcomed, that is good. When someone who is naked and in need is clothed, that is good. When someone is sick and we visit them, when someone is in prison and we go to them, that is good as well. This is the right and good which we ought to be pursuing in the world. And there is a sense of satisfaction in knowing that we have done right that doesn't turn into self-congratulation, but that just says, yes. That was a good thing to do. It was right. And they were encouraged. And there's a reward in that. 
There's a video of uh, the author Francis Chan. Um, I'm not exactly sure how he comes to the point of saying this, but he says, people always blame God. They say, you know, if God is real and God is good, why are there so many hungry children? You know, why is there so much crime? Why is there this? He says, don't blame God for that. Blame people. That's, not, that's, that's people's fault. That's the wickedness of people. God has sent good into the world in the form of his church. And we are to go and to do good. Not to say, look at me, but to say, that's right. That's the right thing to be done, and so we ought to do it. And when we feel the satisfaction of a job well done, it's just like looking at a clean garage, right? I've lost that feeling. You're just like, yes, that's good. The satisfaction is its own reward. When we do what God is calling to us, we also image God. God gives and shares, and God feels a delight in giving and sharing, and he delights in the giving and sharing of his children. Matthew 25, 21, in the parable, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When we give, we change. We grow more into the image of Christ. And we look a little bit less like the, you, the we that we once were. We change. We grow. We shift. The old man dies a little bit more, and we feed the new man within us. How does that happen? Part of it happens as we embrace the pain of living with less. Because true giving hurts in some way, because you're giving away something significant. Another way in which the reward is real is we enter eternity living out our purpose. The Bible says that the one who loves has fulfilled the law. We are not able to enter into God's presence with a moral purity because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that no man will be justified by doing the works of the law, but the one who loves has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the purpose and the intent of the law. And so when the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, we are able to say this when we stand before God. If he were to ask us, I don't think it's going to be like this, why should I let you into heaven? The answer, the right answer on the test, so hopefully you'll all get an A, is I put my faith and trust in Christ. He is my righteousness. I have no righteousness of my own that I can claim as a merit for entering into your presence. God will say, good answer. What evidence do you have to prove that that's true? You created me for good works, which you prepared beforehand that I would walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. And there they are. I sought to obey in the way that you called me to by loving, by acting out of a heart of compassion for the needs of men and being obedient to your commands. And so let's not 
They say the most sensitive nerve in the human body is the one that's connected to the wallet. Let's not turn giving into a curse. Let's not turn it into a trophy. Let's not turn it into an idol. But instead, let's embrace it for the purpose which God called us to, that we might serve those in true need and that we might lay down ourselves in self-sacrifice, embracing poverty, both physical and spiritual poverty, that others might be benefited. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share your word. We pray that you would spare us, Lord, both from the trap of poverty and the trap of riches. Some have said that for every 10 people who can handle the problem of poverty, there's only one who can handle the problem of riches. We might say, at least give me a shot at handling the problem of riches. But Lord, there are so many good and decent people who have been undone by having much. And so pray, we pray, Father, that you would help us to number our days and to, and to count ourselves blessed by you and to seek to live rightly before you. We pray that you would help us not to congratulate ourselves for our giving, but to say that we did so out of obedience and out of compassion. We did so out of love both to you and to our fellow man. We did it for your glory in secret and for our joy. And we pray, Father, that on that final day when we meet you, you will show us what you accomplished because you're the one who accomplished it Lord but you did it through us we pray that that we will see and we trust that on that final day we will say you are good and you've done everything well you've done all things right and you're worthy of all glory and praise and honor we thank you Lord and we pray your blessing on this word and we pray that it would grow within us for your glory Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song.